I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today we are talking about the video game The Last of Us Part 2, directed by Neil Druckmann, written by Neil Druckmann and Hallie Gross. I am here with part of the Lessons from Screenplay team, Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayotos. Hi. And once again, we have a special guest with us, Mr. Sage Hyden. Oh, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> I went with Mr. Thank you. Yeah, so we're here talking about The Last of Us 2 because people have uh, asked us about it. We've all played it. We all wanted to talk about it. But also, today is a special day because today we are launching a new channel on YouTube, a second channel that is focused entirely on storytelling and video games called Story Mode. Woo! which we're very excited about. So with Story Mode, the team and I, we get to talk to the storytellers that are working in this new medium. We're talking to the quest designers and the writers and anyone we can get our hands on really to do deep dives and conversations with them about what are the techniques that are being utilized in video games to tell their stories, to bring this to life, to create the experiences for the players. Uh, and so it's it's kind of like trying to take the analytical, you know, let's learn about storytelling of lessons from the screenplay and apply it to video games. Uh, so that is out today. You can go and subscribe. There'll be links in our show notes. Uh, our first video, our launch video on The Witcher 3 is available now. It's really, really fun. It's really good. I love that game. But we're not here to talk about that game. We're here to talk about The Last of Us Part 2. So, Sage, thank you, as always, for joining. And one of the reasons you're here, besides the fact that we just love you and Trisha doesn't play video games, <laughs> is that you made a really awesome video about why you liked The Last of Us Part 2. And it was, you know, the culture surrounding this game when it came out was fraught toxic <laughs> <laughs> there are, yeah many adjectives we could use um and it's it's a challenging game i think it it is trying to create conflict within the player uh and so i think there was a lot of wrestling with how we're supposed to feel about it and so i know for me watching your video really helped me i think everything you kind of say in that video is like okay this is this is everything i'm feeling in a nice 14 minute video. Um, so I'm curious for you, Sage, what was what was your expectation going into the game? And then what was your experience like playing it? What motivated you to make the video? Yeah, I just did. Uh, um, I had a great time with the game, <laughs> um, uh, even though it's like ridiculously depressing and horrible <laughs> uh, in terms of like its content, like its themes. And I, I just wanted to put out a video that uh, uh, captured what I thought it was doing, uh, what I thought it was doing successfully. And uh, my expectations for it were, uh, I, I really didn't have expectations for it. Um, I, I didn't pay attention to like any pre-release stuff or spoilers or like any of that kind of, I like, pur like purposefully very much detached myself from the, uh, the uh, video game news cycle um, <laughs> around this game. Um, I thought the first game, as I, I, I mean, everyone has a, a pretty consistent opinion, I, I feel about the first game, which is that it's, you know, as close to a home run as you can possibly say, basically, yeah. like, you know, perfect, perfect video game, right? You don't really need a sequel to it. So like a sequel to me is just like bonus, right? Like mm -hmm. the, that there's any, there's any more to the story. I think that's probably part of the reason that I enjoyed the game is that I didn't have like a very firm expectations on I need to have 20 more hours of Joel and Ellie being together. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I was just, right. I, I was just in for, you know, these, 
writers, these creators, these video game designers, like I wanted to see what they were going to make and how it was going to affect me. And uh, I think uh, I think they did a phenomenal job. Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of the same way where I was trying very hard to avoid new stuff, any kind of, you know, I think I watched one of the trailers and and the early gameplay thing that they released where there's the you see the dance with Ellie and Dina and that kind of bookends a little bit of a gameplay thing. I'm curious, did you watch that Sage? Before yes, that? I did see okay. I did yeah, I saw like a few of the trailers, but yeah. Okay, cool. Because I, I want to talk about that later. But I would say for me and probably for Alex and Brian too, well, I want to hear your specific thoughts. But we so we made a video about The Last of Us Part One uh, at the end of last year. And one of the most terrifying but cool moments in my life was after the interview when Neil was sort of just like chatting with us. And he was like, so what are your expectations? Neil Druckmann. Neil Druckmann, yes, the writer-director. Uh, asked me what my expectations were for the sequel. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I I've like, thought about that question froze. so much since <laughs> since like that day. Like cause I, I, at that point, I was like, "Oh, this is kind of a cool question to ask your like audience member. Like, what are their expectations?" But now that we know what the game is right. and how much it fucks with expectations, like <laughs> I'm so yeah, I've thought about that moment so much since then. Right. Well, and all the things that he talks about in that video that we made about like empathy through control um, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. just playing Last of Us 2, I was like, oh, this is why you had all those answers ready to go because (laughs) you guys were very intentionally putting that into The Last of Us 2. So I feel like I had this kind of meta expectation thing going on where I was hearing Neil's voice in the back of my head the whole time that I was playing. Um, But (laughs) otherwise, I I tried to play. (laughs) I tried to avoid trailers and stuff. Well, then you have a very unique uh, position. Yeah, (laughs) I do. It's probably going to color some of my experiences. But Brian, so you played it the first weekend right away and just like barreled through it. In its entirety. Yeah, in its entirety. I think I started on Thursday night and finished it on Sunday night. And yeah, just like you, Sage, I was able to avoid everything. I mean, I watched like trailers, like anything that the... That, that Naughty Dog actually put out. But when there were the leaks, I didn't pay any attention and I was able to just keep my head down that weekend to just play it. And I think for that reason, I um, I was able to go on the journey they actually wanted me to go on, which you didn't if you read all the leaks and then played the game. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I mean, it was one of the most emotionally arresting and compelling experiences I've had in, in a few years. Like maybe you know, a movie or a show that I love will get me to like get teary eyed like once or twice. Like this game, I was just constantly just like a ball of emotion in in sometimes in, in negative ways, sometimes in positive ways, but always in a way that I that I loved experiencing. You know, it's funny, too, because it's like I can't think of a game ever where I was just more excited to catch up with the characters than to actually play the game. I was like, I want I just I was like, I'm looking forward to playing the game, but I just want to see like, where is everybody? I want to like check in with Ellie and like, I'm excited to like see more like have more of their story and yeah like we can you know we can talk about things that maybe we think like the game did didn't do as well as it could have or whatever but for me it was like the stuff that it did well it did it was like 11 out of 10 for me so it was like it was just it didn't matter to me where i was like oh maybe i would have done things this way or like you know one of the things people are like oh i've already we've already seen this concept in like another movie or something like that it's like well when your biggest when it's a video game and your biggest criticism is like this it's not every single thing about it is like groundbreaking you know whatever that's pretty damn good like and uh, and yeah last thing i'll say is i just i had my like screenwriter brain on during it so like no matter how much a certain moment might punch me in the gut emotionally 
there's this voice in the back of my head going like, yeah, but that makes perfect sense. Or like, fuck, that's smart. So I think, I think I was just, I was like, so looking forward to talking to you guys about it because, because it was like, I'm looking at it from, yeah, the, this is how narrative works. These are the tools you have when you are writing a story. And a lot of other people are like, I didn't like the story. Therefore, it's bad. It didn't do what I wanted to do. Therefore, it's bad. And it's like, yeah, that's that's kind of the point. Those are the themes. Those, oh, like, <laughs> yeah. that's why I did that thing. <laughs> like anybody in the world could write like the fan service version of this, you know, and it's like, that's not interesting. <laughs> like someone was like, another Joel and Ellie story would have been boring. And someone's like, oh, yeah, after The Hobbit, um, Tolkien shouldn't have written another Hobbit story going on an adventure. That would have been boring. It's like he literally didn't write another Bilbo story. He did a brand new thing <laughs> right. of characters. Bilbo's now the older one. Like, like that's Rohan and yeah, like right. Minas Tirith. Like this is not the Hobbit. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think you're getting at a thing that I, I think is useful to kind of have out there, which is like how we think about and how we critique works right. of art where it's like, you know, I, I try to look at what is the game, movie, whatever, what is it trying to do? And then is it achieving those goals? Mm -hmm. And then there's also the separate track of regardless of that, what was my experience? Right. And so like that allows for, you know, you can like a movie that's bad and you can dislike a movie that's good. Like I think being able to separate out these kind of elements is is useful for intelligent conversation. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing I always come back to is um, No Country for Old Men, where it's like, if you're just like, I went to see a Western and the good guy didn't kill the bad guy, it's like, okay, sorry, but there's <laughs> you can go watch that movie. Like, there's a ton of them, you know? Did you actually think about why this movie ended the way it did? Or did you think the writers got to the end and were like, I don't know how to I don't know how to end a movie. I guess we just have them all go off on their own and maybe the good guy dies. I don't know. Like, no, clearly they're making a choice. If you don't agree with the choice, fine. But at least try to understand why the choices are being made. Right. Yeah. Nothing feels sure. accidental in uh, uh, in in this game. Like, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. And for me, so I unfortunately, you know, I wasn't able to play it the first weekend. I was like moving this summer and I was having to play like three other video games for story mode. And so <laughs> I basically was very late to the game with Last of Us Part 2. I did avoid like really strong like story spoilers, but I just couldn't avoid hearing that there was all this like toxic or just really angry reaction online. And I was thinking about a trans character. Uh, so I had all these little bits of information in my head going into it, but no connections, just like a lot of, you know, words. And I generally kind of lowered my expectations because I figured, well, maybe if there's this much fury about it and it's so controversial, the game, while maybe it's very like technically excellent, makes some like really just not good choices. And I love the game so much. Like I was so immersed in this game in a way that I don't think I've ever experienced before in any media. Like it it, it really was the it, it had reached that pinnacle of like the convergence you know people talk about the convergence of like different art forms coming together cinema games and i think this game for me like finally like achieved that to a level i've never experienced before where i was taken to places emotionally that generally i've only i've only gone through cinema you know i i, I can get emotionally attached to characters in the video game and you know be excited to be with them in a game but I feel like the actually like the sickening emotions, like the deep mm. gut, like <laughs> body emotions. I've only had those in movies uh, as far as like through a work of art. And so just that alone, the fact that the the 
creators at Naughty Dog were able to make this piece of media that like physically like made me feel ill or <laughs> like or so terrified or so tense or so distraught like that in itself is, is impressive to me and I, and I I've mentioned before on this podcast like uh, about this game that I I like feel bad movies you know like if a movie <sighs> is is really good if it's a really well done movie and it makes me feel awful uh I'm impressed with that movie and if it's a great story and has a really strong theme and is you know you know it can be nourishing at the same time as making me feel kind of sick and that's what this game was for me um so all in all yeah I I was actually very excited to keep playing it every night when I had a chance and uh, you know there there were some parts of the game that did, did drag for me there were some periods and sections where I kind of got a little bit less interested but it always picked up again at a certain point and just sucked me back in and uh and I I found it frustrating but I think that was the point you know so we'll talk about all that um but over <laughs> overall I I went into it with very weird jumbled expectations and it surpassed everything that i expected yeah the uh the, the criticism on pacing i think uh is an interesting interesting one mm-hmm. uh because i i feel like uh i had an like a, a unique experience with it uh when i played because i i bought this game on the uh the playstation store which means i had to download it Mm-hmm. And I have very mm-hmm. bad Wi-Fi for my mm. PlayStation. Um, and I was very eager to play all of it so I could make a video about it. And so uh, I was playing the game as it was downloading, which means I <laughs> oh, could wow. only play. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like pre-download it? No, 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 no. <laughs> I wasn't smart. Um, so I was, yeah, I was pretty eager to just start playing long preamble. But the way I ended up playing the game was one chapter at a time, like, I'd play mm. one of the, one of the days completely all the way through and then be forced to stop for several hours and go do something else. So wow. every time I, yeah, you can kind of see like where I'm going with this. Cause like, I think every like day in this game is its own like perfect little three act structure of mm. build up mm. and then climax and resolution. And then it takes you down the roller coaster, right. Uh, with one of the flashbacks or something. And if you just play that as like a singular gaming experience, like the pacing feels perfect, right? Because mm, like interesting, you, yeah, it's like, it's like episodes of a TV show. Exactly, it's exactly yeah. like that. Um, and I think it's it might be like might be a more ideal way to play it than like the uh, just binging through all the way to the end. Right. Yeah, it was something that Neil uh, had said. Basically, he said the first game, he wanted it to feel like a 10 hour movie. And the second game, he wanted it to feel like you were sitting with a novel mm, yeah. so that instead of being like, we're, we're racing towards this climax, it's kind of like you're, you know, you have these little um, these little hills, these peaks and valleys, and you are spending time with these characters and stuff. And I just think it's interesting because when people talk about a game being too long, it's like, well, there is no standard of how long a game is, at least not yet. You know, there's a movie is like, if it's two hours, if it's 80 minutes, it's a short movie. If it's three hours, it's a long movie. And there are three hour movies that are the right length. And there are 80 minute movies that are boring, you know, but with games, it's sort of like your first thing. It's like, okay, it's $60. How long is it? Like how much content am I getting out of this? But now we're kind of getting past that. And it's like, okay, but is, is the content what I want it to be? And I think that, you know, I think some of the people have said about Last of Us are like, there are certain sequences where Ellie has to go from like point A to point B, but like nothing happens. So you just have this little combat stealth sequence, but like there's not actually a story moment in there, whereas other times there are. So I think that's fair to say, 
I, you know, it's not about the game being X numbers of hours long. It's about the content being sort of the same, the same, having the same weight to it throughout, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just think it's a really interesting conversation. There's sort of no right and wrong, like how long is a video game or anything like that these days. So it's just interesting to see, like, I don't think I've ever heard people say a game was too long until the last decade or something like that, when like we could start exploring these, these, these really long narratives with a lot, with so much going on in them. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting topic, I think, anyway. And and hearing about your experience, Sage, has, like has my brain like really going now and really <laughs> thinking about, you know, could that be the way Netflix came and kind of changed the way you can release TV shows where it's like we drop the whole season at once and that kind of changes the way you watch a season of a Netflix show. Could video games maybe go the opposite way? Like, mm. could there be, you know, could The Last of Us been released chapter by chapter? And how mm. would that change your experience of it? Because there is this kind of, for me anyway, it was wanting to get through it in case we wanted to try to make a video about it or, mm-hmm. you know, just, just to know what it is, be mm-hmm. able to avoid spoilers. And so there were times where I felt satiated and emotionally drained, but also felt I needed to keep going. Right. And so (laughs) that was kind of, you know, that impacted the experience in a negative way for me sometimes where I felt obligated to continue to play. Whereas doing it chapter by chapter with mandatory breaks, I think that could really change the way I was perceiving the story. So it's just a really interesting accidental experience that that you had. Yeah. Yeah. I completely stumbled into it. (laughs) The idea of it being more like a novel that really tracks with the the way that it flips to Abby for you know like the second half almost right. the entire second half that that's very novelistic you know we'll we'll tell an entire story from one perspective and then just spend a bunch of time with a different character mm-hmm. um that that's really the closest kind of analogy for yeah. that kind of story structure like the lord of the rings actually Mm-hmm. Um, the Hitman reboot in 2016, they released, uh, there's like six different levels that you go through and they actually released them as episodes. Um, now there's not a huge narrative going between them, but the way you play Hitman is like, you can play the, you can beat it probably in 10 minutes or something, but then it's about going back through and trying all these different ways and beating it perfectly and stuff. And, and I loved it being released in episodes cause I could just focus on one level for like a week until the next one came out and then focus on that one. Because I'm probably just going to play through all of them and then go back and do that anyway. But there was so much criticism that when when Hitman 2 came out, they were like, nope, we're not doing it that way this time. But I was like, I actually really liked sort of being, here's your one thing. I mean, look at like The Mandalorian or something. It's like uh, Mandalorian or Game of Thrones. Like imagine that being binged, like being able to just binge that. Just like, here's everything that we just spent like two years and, you know, billions of dollars making. And it's like, no, I kind of, I kind of am happy to just, here's my, here's your little story of the week. You can talk about it with your friends and then move on to the next one. And then if you're making Jack Ryan or Stranger Things or something, fine, you can put that out all at once. Cause it's, cause it's crafted as a 10 hour movie. But, um, but I do like these sort of, that we still have this like episodic, we want you to live with this thing for now and then we'll move on to the next thing. And mm-hmm. uh, it'd be interesting to see if, if video games could actually do something like that at some point. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. 
So one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, the the big inciting incident that happens at the beginning of the game, which upset many people mm -hmm. and extremely excited me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So for you, Sage, you, you didn't have any expectations. You didn't know what was going to happen. What was that moment of Joel's death like for you, both just your experience of it? And then what were your thoughts story wise and narrative wise as far as what it was doing? For me, that's like the it's like the buckle your seatbelt moment, you know, mm -hmm. it's like if you do something like this right at the beginning, it's like, what else do you have planned? You mm -hmm. know, right. <laughs> um, like uh, I actually just watched Dark recently. <laughs> it has a like a, a pretty big revelation a couple episodes in where it's the same thing where it's like, oh, you're jumping right into this. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the, that moment, I think, is so fascinating from like like interpreting the audience's reaction to that because it's completely dependent on what you thought happened in the previous game mm, right like how mm -hmm. you respond to that like if you think Joel did nothing wrong right then like you know then this moment plays very differently for you mm -hmm. and uh like we can jump into that if you want because there's <laughs> well, like the the, yeah. the variance of opinions <laughs> there are so fascinating mm -hmm. to yeah it, it was really interesting to me because I I was hearing even like our producer Vince was talking about when he played the game and he switched to Abby how like angry he was and like he wanted the option to just like throw her off a cliff and and as <laughs> in revenge for Joel and it was funny because for me yeah I was so horrified by the end of The Last of Us and Joel's actions that it made perfect sense that there'd be a group of people trying to get revenge against him you know I I, I immediately intuited that's what they were all about you know looking for somebody in this area. And so, yeah, when they killed Joel, it, it kind of seemed like a natural consequence to me of the first game. Mm -hmm. It also kind of actually changed my relationship to Ellie from the very get-go because I wasn't super identified with the need for, like, bloodlust revenge. I felt like it was almost like this, the loop has closed now because Joel committed this horrible atrocity and they killed Joel. Like, that's kind of the end of it, you know? So mm -hmm. uh, it, it was it was interesting experience for me to play as ellie getting revenge that felt pretty gross to me from the beginning mm -hmm. so i didn't feel like more grossed out being abby you know it, it's it definitely i was a person that that felt that joel was maybe doomed from the get-go because of the events of the last game so yeah interesting yeah you're more like role-playing as these characters than you are like the typical thing in a video game where it tr like it's trying to make you feel like you are that character Right. Like it's still doing that with all of the like Michael, as you were talking about earlier, with the uh, control as empathy. Like you know, mm -hmm. it uses that like that like the whole those all like those long sections of just like moving from place to pay, places to build that sense of empathy. But yeah, I totally felt like completely at odds with both of the characters almost the entire time that I'm playing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but if you didn't like, I, I think I keep I kept hearing this thing like uh, Joel deserved better. Uh, Joel's death wasn't earned and that kind of thing. And I'm like, first of all, I guess that's mostly coming from people who don't think that he deserves punishment for what he did, which I, I get the argument there, but like, yikes, if you know, that's your stance, but still like, if you believe that, then it's, I think it's still the right choice because then it just makes you angry. Like it makes you as a player angry and hateful in the way that Ellie is, and right. it sends you on this terror of revenge. If if Joel dies 
sacrificing himself in this beautiful moment, then you're kind of like, okay, I have closure and like moving on. But he dies unceremoniously, you know, in this kind of shitty way. And, and, and I think that that's perfect because it puts you in either, like you said, Alex, you're, you're like, well, okay, that makes sense, which in which case, fine. Or it puts you in this, I'm, I'm ready to go kill everybody, you know, and their dogs to like get revenge for this <laughs> All guy. their dogs. Right. <laughs> um, so, so I, so that's why I think it's like a really smart choice. And I also really love that Joel is present throughout the game in the sense of the flashbacks, like these nice long flashback scenes and stuff. So that kept me from feeling like, oh, I'm robbed because there's supposed to be more Joel in this game. Like, no, th there is, there is a good amount of Joel in this game. I really feel like I got to spend more time with Joel post Last of Us One because you can do that with nonlinear storytelling. And I, I thought it worked really well. Yeah, I, I feel like it's such a genius choice in so many ways for everything you guys are saying, where it's it's like, as you were saying, Sage, like after that, nothing is safe. Like if they're mm -hmm. willing to kill Joel in the first act of this video game, you are then worried about everybody else for the rest of the game, or at least I was. I thought Dina was going to die constantly. Mm. I know. I yeah. was <laughs> talking about Dina. I love Dina. <laughs> so yeah, so it's doing that. It's violent in a literal way but the way emotionally he is as, as you're saying brian ripped away unceremoniously it does create this new wound mm -hmm. and whether you feel it's justified or not i feel like it creates an emotional turmoil in you that is important for putting you in alignment with ellie in her headspace whether or not you agree with her i think you, you kind of get how disturbed she is by this thing emotionally right. mm -hmm. And it's just it's a great kind of left turn to throw in. Like I, I kind of was just thinking about in Avengers Endgame, spoiler alert, mm -hmm. how they kill Thanos in the first like five minutes right. of the movie. I feel like in this kind of meta way, similarly, any kind of preconceived notions that I had about, well, maybe in Last of Us 2, it'll be she and Joel are going to go on an adventure and she's going to learn the truth and they're going to be upset, but maybe they're going to find the cure and it's going right. to be like whatever <laughs> imagined story I'd planned in my head immediately gets thrown out. And so you're left with this, well, now what's going to happen? Right. Feeling, which is just great on, on so many levels, I think. Speaking of, you know, learning the truth, Sage, I loved how in your video, you kind of saved that moment for like somewhere in the middle of your, of your video about The Last of Us 2. Like, well, she doesn't know what Joel did. So it makes sense that she'd be so upset. Wait a minute. She knew what Joel did. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, that was a big deal for me. I was like, yeah. wait a minute. Like, you, you even understand why people would want Joel dead. And... Yeah you're behaving this way, which is a, mm. it was a very interesting choice, you know, and, and I, I do like how it fills in character backstory eventually of like, that's where she and Joel were earlier in the game. She hated him because he had lied to her and he did this thing without her permission, basically. So I think it's all, I ultimately love what the story did, but that was such a weird realignment moment to, to put all of her actions in that context of, oh, she even knows what Joel did. <laughs> And it would have been easier to tell the story without doing that, right? Like right. If, if, if Joel was just like a perfect person in her mind, it's like easier to tell the, the revenge story. The fact mm -hmm. that that's not the case, like just like it just complicates all of the emotions involved in it in a really interesting way. I think. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's it falls structurally in uh, the right place in the story because you are you are driven to 
doubt Ellie more and more as yes. her half of the story goes on, uh, where at first you're like, cool, let's go kill everyone. Let's do it. Um, and then she starts to become more violent and the enemies start becoming more humanized. You know, you get enemies like calling each other by their their names when they die. And then you have like the dogs and you have the 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 young woman who's on her PS Vita that Ellie sneaks up on. And then Ellie like, <laughs> right. has, is, like doesn't right. want to kill her, but then does. And suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, these are people. And Ellie is like getting more and more. And like that is I think that's the same sequence then that ends in Ellie killing Nora. Uh, in the hallway the red hallway is, scene yeah exactly i was so just, angry at the game at that moment right <laughs> when it's like here's the one button you can press like, right yeah exactly yeah yeah it's not that kind of game where you have where you have choice right right like, it's yeah just, it's a feel-bad movie but then i think as you are um going down 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 with ellie then they throw in this other little thing in there by the way she knew what joel did have a nice day, you know, and I think that like that, I, the reason I think it works structurally is because it just adds to your personal conflict about what this character is doing. And then we can talk about how Abby Howard sort of has the reverse where she starts as the villain and then you empathy, your empathy builds for her. But yeah, I just think, I just think it was really smart to, I, it's, it's, it's a messed up moment, but I think it was really smart to, to put it where they put it. Cause it's just like everything you think about this character is not quite how you, <laughs> what it is. And it's interesting, too, that they, they save another really important flashback for the very end of the game when you learn that, like, she and Joel had, like, just begun to repair their relationship. Right, like, right. The night before he dies, basically, they were going to begin to try to have a relationship again. And that then swings you bit back more into Ellie's perspective of he was robbed from her right at this moment of reconciliation. So, yeah, so it, 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 the game never lets you stay in a like i've got to figure it out place it always complicates things with just new perspectives and new information yeah well and i think again in your video stage in your section called naughty dog wants to fuck with you <laughs> <laughs> very well titled yeah yeah i, I feel you. like you. you know this idea of control and and choice in games you know some games are all about choice and all about getting the player to role play yeah, the, the Last of Us, you know, the first one is, is you, you don't have choice. And it's it, it leans hard into that at the very end. It leans hard into kind of messing with your expectations where maybe you don't want this character to make this choice, but he does anyway, and you have to deal with that. And this game kind of takes just doing that the whole time, as, as you pointed out in your video. And so it's interesting to see this kind of game embrace the idea of like you don't have choice in this and we're going to use that kind of as a weapon against you to make you feel things psychological <laughs> right. warfare yeah mm. it like it wants to put like pit your rational brain against your emotional brain and just mm. like like constantly point out to you that you are judging these people based on your personal relationships with them and not on their actions right mm. um <laughs> like like once you actually start accounting for what the play, like what the um, characters are doing, like how terrible their their actions are, if you actually compared them, you'd realize that they're guilty of a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. And like, really, the only reason you feel any differently about this is because of where the camera was placed the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, right. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. And that's ultimately what I love about the game is, you know, by the end of the game, I was more with Abby like by far like and mm -hmm. and she yeah. was you know as you pointed out sage she was actually having this kind of redemptive arc where she was choosing 
like she was choosing to have like a life post revenge and then ellie uh, another really frustrating moment like ellie you're with dina in the beautiful perfect farmhouse right. <laughs> everything's good and you think that like killing this person is gonna like fix your ptsd like that that is a little bit of my disconnect sometimes from revenge stories is like and i i've never been in the position to like get revenge desperately for a loved one so so i really can't speak to the actual emotions that i might be feeling in that moment but it just never made sense logically to me at least that like i would feel better after killing a bunch of people like mm -hmm. like so so the fact that ellie's been through so much at that point gotten more traumatized by all of her actions up to that point and decides the only way to fix it is to like finish killing people which is so frustrating to me as a viewer but that's me with every revenge story it's just <laughs> never quite i can't quite get on board with the character because i'm like this doesn't make any sense actually and just you're just going to be more traumatized well and that kind of you know is, is getting at the you know the, the three-way breakdown that i was talking about of like what is the story trying to do is it doing it well and then what's your personal experience with it and i, I feel like mm. i'm kind of that same way where i am not someone that is into revenge stories so it, it takes zero persuading to get me on board the side of like revenge is bad and <laughs> right. that was yeah. kind of one of my problems and i think kind of what you're saying with the game is that i was as soon as they you know in in the intro even in the first act they tease playing as abby and playing from this right. other perspective and as soon as i kind of got what they were doing there of like oh you're gonna get to see the other side of this story i was like cool that's great yes let's do that let's humanize the bag i'm there with you yep. and then it kind of drops away because then you spend the first half of the game solely as ellie and for me experience wise i think i was kind of meta expecting more of a back and forth intercutting between abby and ellie that could have been interesting i feel like that's maybe the one of the things that I wish there was an alternate world that I could zip over to and mm -hmm. play like that version of this game just to see what that experience would have been like. But but yeah, so there there is this big moment at the midpoint where you've spent three days with Ellie doing all this crazy shit. And then it leads to this insane cliffhanger moment, cuts to black, and then you're Abby. Let's talk about that really quick. So I feel like <laughs> that, that, that is the big thing of this game. Yeah. So Sage, I'm just going to keep throwing it to you. Sure. Do you experience wise, what was that like for you? And then narratively, do you feel like it's achieving the thing that it's it's setting out to do by by creating that shift at that moment? Like part of me is uh, like totally thrilled, like when that moment happens, because I'm like, oh, we're really doing this. <laughs> part of me is like, uh, you know, I, I kind of felt like it's telegraphed by the opening of the game where you do play as Abby as well. So it's like, OK, eventually I'm going to like, like, you know, there's a small voice in the back of my head being like eventually i'm gonna play as abby again like it can't have just been it right mm. maybe if they had had a way to like not have that then this moment would have been like a full twist but the idea of it of just like let's play as the villain now for these three days like again it's just a like i experienced that as like a, a buckle your seatbelt and like <laughs> mm -hmm. hold on for the ride kind of moment I, I think like it's another part of the game where the game like bucks you off of it um, <laughs> potentially right mm -hmm. like you're mm -hmm. like you're right. trying to hold on to onto it and it's like throwing you off a bit but like that's what makes it like exciting and i feel like these writers could have very if they wanted to just make you like abby if that was their only goal right it would have been very easy for them to just like you know let's cross cut between between uh, ellie and abby for half the game 
until Abby kills Joel. Like, let's make you like Abby first, right? Mm. So that, you know, so that you have that empathy for her. And then when she kills Joel, then you won't be free. You know, you won't hate her. You'll understand what's going on. Uh, you'll still empathize with uh, uh, with Abby in that moment. Like, that's like something that like Game of Thrones would do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, so that you're you're still following all of the plot lines. But like this game just didn't want to do that. Right. Like it, <laughs> it, 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 like it consciously decides not to do that. It makes you hate Abby first. And then the entire experiment of the game is like, can we pull down that feeling? Can we actually mm-hmm. like make you change from hate to, uh, to understanding? So I feel like on a, on a grand scale, like I haven't encountered a, um, another piece of media that attempts it. Like, like that goes right. so hard on that choice. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. I know one of the, the critiques of the game or kind of like you even kind of mentioned it as an aside sage in your video was like, it's such a condemnation of revenge and violence thematically, but then you, you are just violently killing people for fun through a lot of the game. But for me, the game, it was, it was such a gut punch when you with Abby for the first time in the like the Washington Liberation Front, like home base, and you see it's a community, they're growing their own food. The dogs are sweet, like the mm-hmm. like your friends with like the sweet dogs who love you that you like earlier were like batting with the baseball bat and stabbing. And it's, it's almost a cruel, you know, what's doing to you there. But I, I thought it was really brilliant because it is using this medium of the video game, which mm-hmm. is, you know, in games you just kill hundreds and hundreds of people routinely and just fucking with that format. And like, be like, these are all the people you killed. Like, they are people and these dogs are dogs like these aren't like we're not going to let you just have them be bots that you killed like this is yeah. violence actually is enacted on actual thing people and animals and they have you know lives mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and so i i i think almost in a meta way i really appreciated the game putting me through that experience of like like we're going to let you enact crazy violence and then confront you with the lives of all the people that you enacted the crazy violence upon and just feel that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. The first moment you're walking through the, the camp and just like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back to um, with, uh, with Abby, like there actually were early drafts that had her coming into Jackson and being friends with Joel and like she and Joel like form like a nice relationship. And then mm. after a few couple hours, then she kills Joel and and then you're like, wait, what? And then you, you know, go from there. So, yeah, they, they even had that as an option and then decided not to. I mean, the switching to Abby moment just made me like it made me scream with agony and scream with joy at like the exact same time. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> no, oh, my God, you're not going to do this. But oh, that's so brilliant. Fuck you. <laughs> like It was just <laughs> such a like I felt all of the emotions at once. See, I had screams of agony, but it was all about like, why hasn't this downloaded yet? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's interesting. It's for me, it's like I keep thinking about the chapter thing you were talking about, Sage, because like part of it, like my agony in that moment was exhaustion a little bit because mm. I was just so exhausted by Ellie's storyline. It's an exhausting game emotionally and just, you know, it's just, a, it's just all these brutal gut punches constantly. I was like, oh, God, like, I'm going to do that all again with another right. character. Right. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's totally fair to, like, you know, have that feeling make you dislike the game. Right. Like, if you're sure, feeling right. exhausted, you don't want to be feeling exhausted during a video game. You don't like the video right. game. 
you know, that, that logically adds up. I can get to understand that. Yeah. Totally. But, but I also think it's, you know, negative emotions aren't inherently bad for the audience to feel. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's also the question of like, how long should a game be? It's like a game is not intended to be experienced in one sitting the way a movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you are exhausted, then play, don't play anymore today, you know? And, right. But like also some people stop a game for months and they're like, I still don't want to go back. Well, okay, then then the game is not for you, you know, but I just think it's interesting. It's just an interesting question. Like a novel, how do you design something that is meant to be consumed at whatever pace you choose to consume it, you know? But yeah, with, with Abby, like playing as her, you know, I just, it's such an interesting question. We don't know how long it takes to empathize with someone. How long does it take to uh, to get on board? You know, in a movie, they do it in 15 minutes, but we're talking about, you know, someone who kills your your video game dad. Like, you, the player, this is your video game dad. Like, he, he's been your dad since 2013. And I, I just think, like, Michael, if you were switching back and forth, it'd be impossible for people not to be like, well, I just want to get back to Ellie. So I just, I, I don't care. 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 Back to Ellie. And I think by taking you through to the standoff and then saying now day one, Abby, it's sort of the game is saying like, you, you don't get to go back to Ellie. You, you're going on this journey if you want to finish this game. And could they have done what they wanted to do in four hours instead of 10 hours i don't know but like i think that like that's the thing is this is not this is uncharted (laughs) uh territory (laughs) (laughs) um and uh so we don't know how long it takes to do that and i think for other people after 10 hours they still didn't care about abby and you know and that's unfortunate too but i think that like i give i give the game credit for saying i think the best way to get you to empathize with this character is to say you are going to play this character for the next 10 hours, that's it. So you better get on board. And I think that did allow me to start to stop thinking of her as the villain to stop thinking of her as Joel's killer and start just thinking of her as like, this is the, this is the main character I'm playing as now after 30 minutes, maybe I'm still thinking that, but after four hours now I'm just like, okay, where's Abby need to go next and what's going to happen next, you know? And I just think it's like, it's such an interesting thing because the design of Abby is where I wonder if the game could have could have done more to get more people on board with her during this time. Because I think like she's a perfectly fine standalone character. If you never play this game before, or like any game, you just play a game, Abby's your your main character, fine. Uh, and she's flawed and she's like sleeping with someone she shouldn't be and all and she's, you know, kind of a dick sometimes, fine. Because like flawed character, I get it. But then of course she is, as you were saying, Sage, it's like she's the villain so you got to play as her now so you have all of this weight under her but i wonder if they could have not necessarily make her like super likable and like what a charming like lovely person (laughs) but like she's so charming at the beginning in the scene with her father and then she's like you're really on board with her once she's caring for lev and like she's like you're my people i don't care about these factions and these rules and everything like that but then the middle is so much of her just kind of being a dick (laughs) like i wonder if you could have shown her just like dealing with her father's death for like a good solid you know hour of gameplay or something and then after joel's death she's so racked with guilt she's like should i have done that i don't know god i can't believe i just murdered someone in cold blood like yeah, he killed my father, but like, Jesus, you know, and then I think you start to build more audience empathy with that character. And, you know, Neil said in, a, um, in, in the last of us podcast, he said, 
in the first game, if you don't buy that moment at the end, then we failed. He said in this game, if you don't empathize with Abby, then we failed. And I think for some people, for a lot of people, that is what the problem was. was, it, was they, it didn't matter whether it was 10 hours or, or you know, 100 hours. They're just like, I can't get on board with this character. And therefore, the game failed for me. And I don't care, you know, about the things I thought were good in the game because I didn't like this one thing. Therefore, I don't like the game. And uh, and I just think it's interesting. And I don't know, you know, it's like, what is the right way to do any of this? But it's just uh, it's just the, the, the one thing where I was like, if I were pitching this game or if I were rewriting this game or something, I would have been like, let's do more work to make Abby. Like you even design her with like mean person eyebrows. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she just like <laughs> looks like a person who's like up to no good. And uh, and I just wonder, you know, if they could have done some more work to like really get you to kind of fall in love with her as much as you can knowing that she you know did what she did the thing that like made me reconcile with her as a character and with all of the uh villainous characters on her side of the conflict is that i interpret the like the setting of this game as like entirely joel's fault (laughs) Um, yeah Mm-hmm. So like from a dramatic perspective, right, like not necessarily like like I know a lot of people, you know, get uh, uh, it, like spend a lot of time thinking about like the logistics of like, uh, you know, oh, if they made a cure, would they actually be able to make a cure? Would they actually mm-hmm. be able to administer the cure? Would they, you know, <laughs> how far would it get out? You know, and that's, uh, you know, fine thought experiments. Go ahead. You know, everyone yeah. can, can enjoy <laughs> get all the enjoyment you want out of that. But from a dramatic perspective, the first game says. Joel is making a binary choice and in one world, it's going to be good for everyone. And in the other world, it's only going to be good for him. And we're going to see the world that he creates now. So the seat, like the, the setting of the sequel is a a direct consequence of Joel's actions and everyone's flaws are his fault, right? Had he, you know, not intervened and let the cure be made, then all of these people would get to live lives of uh, more comfort they wouldn't be these you know ravaging killers and militias right like the game Mm. is saying like these people would have been fine if joel didn't make his choice so like we're seeing like how one gener like how joel like affected this younger generation and how they have to like live with you know with the consequences of his actions so all of her anger and her hate like the game makes me makes me dislike her to start it makes mm. you hate the character uh but then i was always like understanding it as you know she's a product of her environment and her environment is completely created by by joel's decision from a dramatic not a little logical uh-huh. <laughs> i actually do kind of like that you know when i first started playing as her she is prickly and not really that pleasant she's not charming um and i liked the journey it took me on to the point where it really is a meaningful change uh when she tells lev you're my people mm-hmm. like like yeah. that that was really special because she's not somebody who is charming and warm and open and like willing to let her guard down and like care for others you know because she's so scarred from seeing her dad die and what happened to the fireflies so i i, I don't think for me like i i would rather have gone on that journey of her not being a likable super likable character to seeing that more profound change at the end when she's living not for revenge or out of bitterness or out of just kind of surviving but to actually like care for somebody was really meaningful so so yeah it worked for me and i i know it didn't work for a lot of people but i i 
I was really with her by the end of the game. Yeah, it, it's weird because I feel like that moment actually really fell flat for me. <laughs> like, I know that that was like supposed to be kind of like the climactic, like, oh, she's changed. But it like it didn't work for me. And I feel like a lot of it was my kind of just meta expectations around all of it. As, I was, as I've been listening to all of this, I think one of the things that is fascinating about video games and because it's so new and kind of what you were saying brian like no one knows what the right length is what the right (laughs) formula is for all this stuff Mm -hmm. is that it's this kind of weird question of you know as compared to a movie the scale of video games is so much bigger in so many ways you know time wise obviously but the number of ideas you can put into them the number of characters you can put into them and everybody's experiences are also therefore like sometimes completely different but if nothing else at least somewhat different because we all play slightly differently and prefer to do this thing or that thing and so i think especially coming into a sequel you sequels are already super hard but you have such less of a clear hold on what the audience's expectations could be mm-hmm. than you would in something like a movie. And and I think also because this is a game that is meant to be, you know, a huge, massive appeal to everybody movie, you don't even have, you know, if you were making like a, a sci-fi indie film sequel, you kind of have an idea of what that audience could be or what they might be expecting. And then you can kind of play to that. And this is having to play to everybody in the world. Basically, <laughs> and so yeah, kind of like the questions you were asking. I feel like so, like Neil was basically grifting the studio on this. Like, <laughs> yeah, right? like how they get away with this? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a fe- it's a feel bad indie movie with like a massive blockbuster like release, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Which is one of the reasons it's so cool. It, it is so ambitious and brave of them to to take on so many challenges when they really didn't have to. But it, it makes me think about like you're saying, Brian, like. Could they have changed Abby to make her more empathetic? I feel like that's an impossible question to answer, obviously, because everybody's going to have these different expectations and have different ways that they empathize with people. Like, is it, you know, her literal physical character design? Is it the relationship Mm -hmm. she's in? Is it the amount of time you're spending with her? Is Mm. it the plot situations that she's in? And I feel like it's just such a crazy tall order to try to nail that. And I think that was kind of maybe my personal meta experience problem with abby is because i was already on board with this idea of like yeah we're gonna humanize the antagonist of the story that's really important we're talking about cycles of violence and how you know revenge is just a matter of perspective everything that you care about is kind of just a matter of perspective like yeah that's awesome that when it switched to abby i was like okay this is feels a little late to me but i'm ready let's do this Mm. and i think i was expecting one beat like you had this huge (laughs) build-up of like this is ellie's story now at this critical moment you're going to get this big powerful counter beat and then you're going to go back and you're going to have this weird complicated feeling and instead it was a whole other game Mm. to play (laughs) and so i think that's that was where my expectations kind of it kept tripping me up because I kept being like, okay, game, like I'm with you. Like I get yeah. what you're trying to do. <laughs> I don't need 10 more hours of content to achieve that. And so it was kind of actually working against me mm. in a lot of ways. And I think there was also this weird kind of meta thing. I don't know if I missed it, but when we first switched to Abby, does it say Seattle day one on the screen? Yeah. Y- yeah. N- not in the it? opening of the game, but, but yeah, right. w- you see her flashback with the zebra. Mm-hmm. And then uh-huh. I think after that, it shows Seattle day one. 
Okay. When she's waking up. Yeah. Maybe I missed that. Because mm-hmm. I feel like the design of day one is designed kind of to make you... it For some reason, it played for me like by the end of day one, it could be... And now we're back to where we started. We're like, we're watching her day of. Right. You get like pills faster and like you get weapons quicker and that kind of thing. So it sort of feels right. like maybe we'll get through this quicker instead. It's like, no, you're basically just doing everything again, just a, a little bit faster, but not much. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And I think like the the gameplay there is like part of the reason why, because like mm-hmm. if you're going to make a whole upgradable, uh, you know, like tr- like tree of skills to learn and stuff, you have to like have enough hours to like, like I'm sure there's like very like practical considerations for doing yeah. that. But then on the other hand, like right. the like Abby's day two and three, I think are like the most fun parts of the game, mm. like at, at least from a from like a gameplay perspective, they're the most some mm. of the most interesting stuff there. It's true. I, I do feel like the gameplay stuff that you're doing with Abby was more engaging and, and fun, and which is probably, I would imagine, at least somewhat intentional to like give you kind of these other meta subconscious reasons to enjoy being Abby. Right, yeah. And you know, you have these different guns and like these different tactics that you can use. So like... And you're going to go to the the Scars Island and there's going to be this whole other war going on. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, yeah. The, the game does escalate even though it's kind of starting from zero again. It's It, it does feel like it still has an upward trajectory. You're not like totally re- rewinding to a beginning of game feeling. Right. Yeah. You play as Abby and then finally you get back to this like crazy, insane, tense moment, which kind of like what you were saying, Brian, at the beginning where you just felt like, you know, emotionally exhausted and drained and taken (laughs) to like the most (laughs) intense thing I may have ever experienced when watching a piece of art is playing as Abby in a final boss fight against Ellie. Like in the theater. In the Yeah. In that theater where like. You know, despite everything else that might have not worked for me about playing Abby, when that moment happened, it it completely paid off. And it was like the mm. most stressed I've ever been because <laughs> and it's just so genius. Like we're going to make a sequel to the game and kind of the big boss fight is you have to kill Ellie. Like that is your mission. <laughs> right. Yeah. What a crazy pitch. Yeah. Like, yeah. like and she's going to deserve it, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I feel like, you know, everything we've talked about, about um, yeah, you know, having to play with as Abby, but also just the like the basic fundamental like character design, character writing and just the execution of just kind of the basic familiar forms of storytelling is just so top par in this game. Just like the like the cinematic directing and the acting and the motion capture. Yeah, like I right. was so immersed in a way that I've never been before in a game. Right. And I, I remember seeing the the first kind of gameplay trailer where you see Ellie in the dance floor with Dina, that that whole thing and watching that and being like this is the best scene i've ever seen in my life how do they just do this you know a little concerned i guess about introducing a romantic interest for ellie i think there's a lot of ways that could go 
wrong, but I think the way that they designed the characters and the performances and all these things made me fall in love with Ellie and Dina. And I think that's kind of throughout uh, just really impressive character work was done in the writing phase and in the everything else phase. It makes the game really, really special. So we haven't touched on that mm-hmm. yet. So I just wanted to make sure that was said at some point. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Ellie and Dina, Dina is really important because she is what makes me keep rooting for the Ellie side mm-hmm. of the street really is is, right. is the people that Ellie has around her are more likable in a way and uh mm-hmm. and i really want them to be okay and i want them to like help ellie be okay so the really really good character design there also you yeah. don't already know that they're definitely all gonna die as opposed to abby where you're like oh this right. guy's nice but right right he's got about two days <laughs> yeah i felt um uh, i like i like all the people around ellie i think there could have been a little more uh, like if if I have criticisms of the game, it's like, you know, like with with like Jesse is kind of there. Right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, or like Dina, like I can't quite put a finger on on what her like. It's it's harder to describe her character compared to uh, some of the other characters. Right. Like you like Joel loyal to a fault. Right. Like what are Dina's characteristics? You know, sometimes you can find examples either either way. But uh, she like totally works still because, um, you know, it's you have a character that Ellie cares about and uh well she's also she's also funny yeah <laughs> they, they're going to sing they're going to sing yeah yeah she's very charismatic she she, she adds yeah. like some some lightness to the like the Ellie heaviness you know which i, I think right. i really needed uh to to keep me you know going <laughs> at certain mm-hmm. parts of that game like i think they make it clear that she's good for Ellie and there right. aren't a whole lot of things in this world that are good for anybody mm-hmm. so that's right. one of the things that's nice yeah I think uh, like th- there's one moment where like when they're they're fighting the WLF and then and Dina is like very violent all of a sudden mm-hmm. um, that, that kind of like throws me. It's like, you know, are, are you the you know, are you the the innocent protector or I don't know. I, I feel like I, I like I don't I don't know if my criticism there is like absolutely like it checks out entirely. I, I just feel like in a general sense, I could have gotten to know her more. Right. I, Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, Dina has to be this sort of gray character in the sense that she has to be on board with Ellie going for revenge at the beginning, but not be on board with her going for revenge at the end. She has to kind of be in that middle ground where she's not just like, look, I'm going to stay at home and be like happy. Please don't hurt anybody. She has to be like, no, let's go fucking kill these people. But also, (laughs) like, there's a limit. Don't go crazy. So speaking of the ending, because Michael, you mentioned like the boss battle is in the theater, but then it's not because the Mm -hmm. game keeps going. (laughs) So yeah, what did you guys all think about the kind of extended epilogue in Santa Barbara? And just everything that happens after that point. Yeah. Sage, I'm curious for you. But since you have the unique chapter by chapter experience. also, <laughs> Right. Yeah. I think by that point, I got like the whole ending of it in one go. Like the okay. like Abby's last day and then the the final the the finale. That's like it's it's an interesting one there because like the game definitely could end with the with Abby day three. Right. Mm-hmm. And I like maybe there was some sense like we got to have Ellie one more time. I think like the point of it is you have like. The, the game wants to, or the story wants to show like Ellie going just one step further than anyone else is willing to go. Right. Other than, than Tommy, who was, who was all up for it as well, but like going like one step further beyond like the, 
like she had the perfect the perfect life set up with with Dina and then she has to like actively choose revenge I think like like it's it's the part of the game where I'm like did it need to did did they absolutely need to do that I'm not not sure um I was just reading before I got on the podcast here that uh, like part of the inspiration behind the game is Neil Druckmann's experience growing up in uh Israel and uh like witnessing uh violence there and feeling that feeling and you know the the first game based on his experience of beca- about becoming a father um like the games are very interested in putting you specifically into the creator's uh emotions in specific episodes in his life mm-hmm. um and like revenge and retribution is not a, it's not a, a an emotion that i understand right because mm-hmm. i haven't had that right. um so like you know i i think like reading that today actually like made me feel better about that chapter than <laughs> i i did before because like it's just not something that goes away easily like it, it like the mm-hmm. like the feeling for for revenge isn't like wrapped up easily in a in a three-act narrative here right Mm -hmm. yeah i think that that's interesting because as i said earlier it's never been a thing that i can identify with easily either because i have not i don't have lived experience of wanting desperately to enact revenge it it was frustrating for me at that point in the game to have to keep playing a game about revenge after having done the revenge thing for so long and Mm -hmm. for it for the characters to have seemed to have finally found closure and uh, kind of a, a not horrific ending. It was like, ah, oh, you're gonna make me have to ruin it, and it's, mm. now it's gonna be awful. There still is a sense of closure at the end, but it just it puts you through the ringer one more time and makes you feel awful all over again. And I think, I mean, I think the part that I was really curious about for you guys was what were you feeling in that final beach scene? Because at that point, I was actually just kind of upset at the game. Mm. Um, I, I wasn't sure what more could be achieved you know i the themes like the thematic the, the message had come through so strong and so clear for me at that point and i'd, I'd been through a huge range of emotions i identified with abby identified with ellie so it'll just like put me through that again and it's like abby is so like you know her like body is physically ruined already she's been tied up on a stake for who knows mm-hmm. how long like it just felt almost like extra cruel in a way that like was no longer adding anything um so i don't know what would, would, would that ending feel like for you guys that beach fight i, I mean to to speak to just everything leading up to it too real quick like I, i'm glad to hear you say that in the sense of like i don't want to do this because i feel like the people who are critical of the game are like of course I have to go kill Abby. Like I need to go do this now, you know? And like, why would she spare Abby? Imagine going all this way and then letting her live. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's the point of most (laughs) narratives. Like a character does something wrong until, until they learn to change. (laughs) So, you know, and it's like, and you point this out in the, in the video stage, it's like, well, she's killed a billion people. Like why does one person make a difference? And it's like, true you know and i think that like like you said like it just it does it to a ridiculous degree where it's like i just like blew up a billion people with arrows and stuff and then now you know i'm gonna say one person like i feel like your lizard brain says that right like, even though it's <laughs> like the like the game does justify what's, what's going on right right so that yeah. but but i also think that we are with a slightly different ellie at this point like she has spent time in her in this like family life in this rural kind of idyllic uh lifestyle and then the new faction that's introduced the only 
humans that you kill are just like these are bad people like maybe we're saying everybody's human and everybody, but like these people literally just kidnap people and use them as slaves so like right. you can you can kill them it's fine because they're like why would you introduce a new faction it's like because we just told you how all the other factions are like all kind of good people so like here's one that you definitely want to like go the kill. trashiest like post-apocalyptic right. faction yeah the only real like santa barbara sort of just all out murder that Ellie wants to do is against this one person is against Abby who she very much wants to kill. But like, I think it's cool and interesting to take it that far and say, she still hasn't learned. She still hasn't learned. She still hasn't learned to finally wait until the, the the last few seconds of the fight. And then she just realizes like killing Abby is not going to bring her peace. And I just love the fact they stretch the character arc up until that moment, because it's, you know, that's that dramatic question. That's that thing. Like until that thing is answered, we are still invested so you don't answer it until the last possible second but yeah in terms of how i felt alex like i was so weirdly in this place of look if i have to choose a side i guess i'm team ellie because like just because this is someone i've spent the last seven years of my life like having in my heart you know (laughs) but I cannot root for her in this fight. Like Abby has chosen to choose life over, over killing, you know, and Ellie has not. And I, so I'm playing as Ellie fighting Abby thinking I need the, the person playing the game has to win this fight, but I am rooting against the person that I'm controlling in a way that I think you're supposed to. I'm, I'm going, I can't root for Ellie in this fight. I have to root against her because she is, she's threatening Lev's life, you know, Lev, like the loveliest character in this game. Right. And, uh, and, and she is just trying to kill someone who just is over it and doesn't want to, you know, I, I love Abby's line in the theater where she says, I let you both live and you wasted it. Like you, yeah. you took life and you just went off and made more death with it. I, I, I let you live because I was, you know, obviously she had just killed Joel, but it's like, I'm letting you live because I want to, I want there to still be good in this world and everything. And what did you do? You went and murdered all my friends and now you're, you're still coming after me. So yeah, it was a really interesting thing. And so I just, I really loved the way it wrapped up. I loved that Ellie does finally, finally, finally let her go. And I love that Ellie had to pay for it. It's like you were saying mm-hmm. in Dark Knight Rises episode, Sage, like Alfred says, I'm going to leave if you keep doing this. And then he goes like, and that's exactly what Dina does. So Ellie comes back. I would have more if Ellie killed Abby, I would be like, I don't want to spend any more time with this character. Probably. I don't know if I can be with this character in a game three, but now I'm I maybe not happy for Ellie at the end of this game, but I'm happy for her as a person as, and for her future. I feel like she is now finally gone through what she needed to go through and she has finally changed um so I, I just thought the ending of the game was beautiful and it just really 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 took it as far as it could possibly go and i think that's that's cool yeah like one of the reasons i like that section is the decision to make ellie uh basically anorexic by like in that final chapter as like a mirror to abby like buffing up after all the trauma that she endured mm-hmm. um like both like like having both characters physically transform uh, mm-hmm. in completely opposite ways um, is a um, pretty masterful little bit of storytelling. I was thinking about that, how games can do that in a way that films can't. You know, it's, you know, it's a lot to ask uh, Tom Hanks to lose a ton of weight for Castaway. You have to spend months you know, changing your body if, if within one film you want to have like two very different body types in one character. But games can really psychologically affect you in this way and, and it, it was a really interesting choice because i did feel when i was controlling ellie at the end this 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 more kind of withered 
like broken mm. version of her and it, it, it you you feel it as you're controlling her for one of our early conversations as we were developing story mode we talked to the writing team behind uh marvel's spider-man the ps4 game and one of the lead writers was saying you know as comparing video games to film in film the most expensive thing you can do is blow up a building and the cheapest thing you can do is have two people kiss and in video mm. games it's exactly the opposite right where <laughs> Blowing something up is super easy, but getting two people to have like an intimate like character moment is really hard. And kind of, I guess, is just kind of reflecting on those differences. And like you're saying, Alex, like one of the things that is easier in video games is to change somebody's appearance because you can have you can design all that. And that's one of the tools that that you can use in that medium, which is cool. And yeah, I think for, for me, the ending, I think I was mostly just upset that they had pulled off a happy ending and then had to make it dark again mm-hmm. because right. i think i was there's... like i was okay with a happy ending after all that because i feel like it was earned like yeah. like right. everybody suffered so much like everybody mm. suffered so intensely and they learned the lesson of like revenge is going to just cause more trauma more suffering and then abby makes this choice for lev to like end the cycle and we get to see them like because of that choice there is like hope, you know, and maybe Ellie is scarred forever, but like, I don't need to see her do this all again. I don't know. Because That's... she, but Ellie didn't make the choice to end the cycle. Well, but, but I was, I guess I was okay with Ellie not making the choice. I was okay with. And that's, yeah. yeah. Right. The story also like walks right up to the ending of the searchers and then goes a step further. Um, mm. So like this better, better, better reference is uh, Breaking Bad. <laughs> Um, so like the, the ending of Breaking Bad is directly inspired by the searchers Mm. where, um, like Walter White, the whole episode in the finale, he's like, I'm going to go kill Jesse, going to go kill Jesse. And then he gets there and he sees Jesse and then he saves him. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what happens in the searchers. So like, I feel like that is like a trope in revenge stories of, Mm -hmm. you know, like flipping the switch on, um, or not like the searchers are not, not necessarily a revenge story, but just like an obsessive, I need like a story about someone obsessively going after to kill someone. Like it's a trope to have them flip at the end. Mm-hmm. And this, this story does that. And then it flips it back as like a final right. little. <laughs> she cuts her down and, and lets her go. And then she. Yeah, they do the whole, yeah, they do the yeah. whole, I, I thought, I thought that was going to be the ending of just like, you know, maybe like maybe what Ellie needed is to like save Abby's life back, you know? And like right. maybe what, like, you know, having that power over Abby is really what she needed more than like actually killing her. That's where my brain was at, at, at that moment. Obviously, the story veers into a different direction at the end. Sorry, I interrupted you, Michael. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, just uh, basically everything that you guys were saying that it it was almost more impressive to me that they were able to arrive at something that I fully could accept as being a happy ending because mm. that's not something I ever imagined would be in a Last of Us game. Mm. And so that they, you know, for me, just like you were saying, Alex, I felt like we'd shown that Abby was the better person and this is the choice that needs to be made. And now Ellie kind of has to live in this debt of like now she she has been given life and given this wonderful life. And that's enough to understand why revenge isn't the answer. And like, because well, her final choice could be rejecting Tommy. Right. Exactly. Which I, which I mm-hmm. thought was kind of what was going to happen there was like. Right. Like the final choice that Ellie can make in the game is she has a choice to keep going and she's finally changed enough to stop, you know, like that. Right. That would have made sense to me as 
completing her character arc. I didn't need it to be like with her arms, her hands around Abby's neck personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, that moment, and again, like it's all expertly executed. Like it's amazing. It's amazing. But I think for me, it was, I didn't even understand what had changed for Ellie in that moment. Like, was it just that she was finally there and finally could I don't know. I didn't understand why she changed when she changed after everything. Right. Because it wasn't like, because Sage, like, I, I agree. There's an interesting symmetry of like, it's almost a good thing that she, that she came here for revenge because now she can save Abby. There's like an irony there. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, that's an interesting choice. That's an interesting change. But to like, yeah, to like kind of yo yo back and forth between, I'm going to show mercy and let you live because you've suffered enough. I've suffered enough. Like, I'm done to then snap and be like, no, I'm going to definitely kill you to then I have a flash of like Joel on the porch for a split second. And that's why I'm going to stop strangling you. Like I, that didn't quite play for me. Like I, I thought, I think an earlier moment, like you suggested might've actually been a stronger moment for the change versus whatever that was. It's, it's messy. Um, yeah. Like it is a, like the, the, you know, I, I love this video game. I'm not gonna, like I'm not going to call it like a perfectly con- like uh, uh, struck structured. I, I, I guess it's uh, like like the first like the first Last of Us has a little bit of fat on the bone, but not much. This one has mm-hmm. like a, a lot of uh, it, like it's a big sprawling game in mm-hmm. all of its aspects, right? And like it's emotionally messy, right? Like at the end, yeah. like mm-hmm. going, you, you know, like every story would just like have the one turn, and that would be you know put the you know put the pin in it that's the theme right where here it's like they it's yo-yoing you back and forth between what is the final message of this story going to be mm, and right, i right. think uh yeah like i i think like that's really just part of it of like how hard it is to give up on revenge right mm. um and like you can't really portray that in the story without like really going through the back and forth of it fair yeah all i was gonna say is that keep in mind with that um final flashback with joel the last thing that they say to each other is she says i don't know if i can ever forgive you because joel says if i had to do it again i would do it all over again and she says i don't know if i could ever forgive you for that but i'd like to try and he says you know i'd like that and she says okay um and so then that is what happens with abby then so it's it's sort of i think it's like thematically tied there where it's like i'm not saying she forgives abby but she's remembering that her last interaction with joel I mean, possibly, I I think ever, right? Because I think it's the next Mm -hmm. morning then. uh, Her last interaction with Joel was her saying, like, basically, instead of being angry all the time, I I can try to move past that and try to get to a place of peace, you know? Um, And I think that's what she finally, finally, finally does in that final second where she lets Abby and Lev go. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it works perfectly, but like, I I think I I get why that that why that scene is there and what it's what its function is for Ellie in that moment. And at that point, we haven't actually seen that flashback. So it's kind of like a, you know, thinking back on it after seeing the flashback at the end, does it maybe add up that way? Mm-hmm. Which is right. also an interesting choice. You know, a lot of the flashbacks are placed later, you know, like you kind of have to do some work like after the fact to kind of put things together because mm-hmm. you're given like images or, you know, references to things you don't actually learn until quite later in the game. Yeah, well, and, and I think this can kind of roll into my lesson, my takeaway from The Last of Us 2, which is just for me, this game, as you were saying, Sage, is is not perfect. It's maybe not as focused as the first one could have been or first one was and as it could have been. But as 
and artist, I just find it extremely inspiring what mm-hmm. what they did. That they took all the risks and did it intelligently too. Like I, I think it's there's a kind of foolhardy, like let's just break all the rules right. and just do something different just because, right. right? You know, and like mm-hmm. you don't want that side of the spectrum you don't want well we'll just play it as safe as possible and just manufacture a thing that will make people give us money because it has the name on it like they they really reached for the best thing that i think you could do with like a a sequel for the last of us 2 even if they missed some of the marks first of all points for aiming for all of that Mm -hmm. and still they nailed so many of them and you know it's been six months now something like that since the game came out it's been a while and as we're talking about it i'm still feeling all of these things Mm -hmm. like it is a game that i don't think anyone's going to forget uh and it is powerful and i just like respect the hell out of all of them for choosing to do the hardest possible thing and then doing it smartly and like basically hitting a a lot of what they were aiming for i think that's just as a creator it's cool to see people doing that i think Mm -hmm. it's just very inspiring so it's kind of just gratitude that i have to everyone Mm -hmm. at naughty dog for going after it like that you do feel like you're in such good hands you know like Mm -hmm. like like Mm -hmm. these are incredibly talented incredibly smart incredibly thoughtful people who made this work of art and and it's just it's just nice to be able to like sink into that like i'm the experience I'm getting, I may not like it all the time, but it's really intentional and it's being done with care. And generosity, I think, also. It's mm. like there's mm-hmm. in, in taking those risks and putting that on themselves, I feel like there is this like kind of selflessness of let's push things forward, let's try things that's gonna be better for everyone. And maybe along the way we're gonna take a lot of heat for it. I think that's just a really I just really respect that. So yeah, definitely. that's my takeaway for The Last of Us. I mean, I'm certainly hoping that we are working towards making a more intelligent gamer. Somebody who mm-hmm. will see one of these moments. And, you know, clearly maybe this game is too early for, for some of this, but it's like we will see these moments that like there's not a single choice in this game that I don't understand. It's, it's not about right. whether I think it's correct or whether i would have done it that way whatever but it's like i understand it and i think so many of the negative don't get me wrong there are plenty of people speaking negatively about this game who are in in very intelligent ways you know but there's just a lot of people going i didn't want that to happen therefore the game is bad therefore the writing is bad therefore and that kind of thing and it's like we need to move past that and i'm hoping you know right that that's what my goal is with story mode is like let's make them a more intelligent gamer let's make someone who can appreciate things appreciate these writing choices and understand why they were done and if you didn't if you know if you don't agree with it great go make your own game like you know <laughs> i would love to see it but uh yeah just to go off of all of that a lesson for writers is if you know if you're ever at a point in your career where you produce something that's wildly popular and mainstream and a studio comes back to you and says like hey can you do that but like again just like <laughs> exactly the same way uh, what you should do is lie to them and say that you will and then just do whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> yep i love that yeah, yeah I love absolutely it. 
Yeah, I mean, so that actually, if I could do my lesson real quick, it's about expectation and the context with which you use something, which is just so fascinating to me. Like, it has to be used so carefully. You know, you I've talked about this in the podcast before. You you see a movie, you don't know what to expect. You think it's great. You tell your friend the movie's great. They see it thinking it's going to be great. And then they don't think it's that good because they went in with that expectation. So they tell someone else that movie was not good. And then that person goes in with low expectation, you know. Um, right. So I was imagining like three scenarios where in each scenario, the bulk of Abby's story and the gameplay and her relationships with these characters is basically the same outside of Ellie and Joel. So all of her supporting characters and everything like that. One scenario, brand new IP. There's no context or expectations. She's just the protagonist of a brand new game. Another scenario, she's the protagonist of a Last of Us spinoff or it's Last of Us 2 and she's like kind of a co-protagonist with Ellie, but like she doesn't kill Joel. She doesn't have beef with Ellie, but like you still play as her as she like meets Yara and Lev and all this kind of stuff. Third scenario, we have the game we have where she is presented as the villain and then you have all of her gameplay. And like neither of these is a better approach than the other, but like every single one of those is the exact same thing, but in an entirely different context, as you were saying about uh, earlier, Sage, like how you present something and what the expectations are and what the context is changes the thing itself, even if the thing itself is unchanged through all these you mm -hmm. know through all the different contexts and uh, and then that goes to the trailers and the marketing and like you were saying the sort of just like lying to people and i i think like to me a trailer's job is not to tell me exactly what i'm getting into a trailer's job is to make me is to make me want to get into it you know and the marketing touts one thing and then delivers another the game delivers another that can be amazing or it can be frustrating if the marketing is just designed to sell more units then is a good chance you're going to feel cheated as an audience. But if it's designed to put the audience in a certain mindset going into it, where we want you to have a certain expectation, we want you to be in a certain place so that you are as far in this direction when we take you in the other direction, then that can be brilliant. People still might feel cheated, you know, but it can be used in a really interesting way. So I mean, basically, like expectation and content, uh, context are just incredibly powerful weapons that you just have to be very careful with when you wield them. For sure. And can be kind of like wiggly to try to wield them. So, right. Which is what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Alex, what about you? Take us home. Yeah. My lesson is just, you know, kind of applies to the whole Last of Us franchise, which is the, the fact that it's just a, such a raw emotional experience. And it's not just in the cinematics, it, it goes into the gameplay for me because even the mechanics of the gameplay, where you have this feeling of scarcity always, you never have enough bullets or enough supplies you're always kind of low on confidence that you can even survive the next area you're going into it feels like if, if i you know there are certain parts of the game where i'm like you know to get through this is going to be a miracle i don't know how mm. i'm going to get through this and then and then you it forces you to to kind of like like i know for me like that gets my adrenaline running that gets my heart rate pumping like i actually feel much more immersed in a game that takes out any safety net for me. And, and so I just praise this game for like, not just giving me great characters and great cinematics and really emotional dialogue scenes, but I was experiencing as intense emotions in just the basic gameplay because the game was designed in such a way to make me feel like there was no safety net. There's no like, oh, now I'm just playing a fun game where I can just run through a level and kill people and it's mm -hmm. all going to be fine. Uh, there's no, there's no, none of that. Uh, so I think it's a really interesting storytelling tool in gaming is the emotional impact doesn't have to end in 
you know, in the dialogue cinematic realm, it can carry on into the actual fighting can be as emotionally engaging and uh, wrenching as everything else. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's what makes games cool. So mm-hmm. they can do that also. The moment where someone you're Ellie and you're tied up and someone has like a knife to Dina's throat and like, <laughs> you just have to like hammer a button to like save Dina. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I know I'm just in a quick time event, but I'm like hammering that button so hard. because I'm yes. like, I have to save her. And it was weird. Cause, cause again, like I knew, I knew like I'm either, okay, I'm going to fail and I'll just redo it. Or I just, you know, it's just going to let me keep pressing the button until it's, but I felt that urgency. I felt that I had to press this button fast or else things were going to be bad. And that's really cool. I feel like every time things like that happen in games, my mind rewinds back to playing Metal Gear Solid for the first time when mm. I was like 13 or whatever the hell. And there's a moment where your character is getting tortured and you have to pound the circle button <laughs> to like hold your life force together mm. while it's draining. And I remember as a kid not being able to do it and just having to go over and over again until I trained my like arm to spasm such that it can <laughs> rapidly attack the buttons and so every time that comes up in a game i'm like oh i got this and i just spasm <laughs> the thing <laughs> metal gear solid it's a great great series you went to quick time school <laughs> yes. uh why don't we quickly go around and say what we've been playing recently sage what have you been playing recently i just finished playing outer wilds which I, uh, I I've been hearing people talk about this game for a year, yourself mm. included, <laughs> um, among that. Um, and I finally treated myself to like one of the best video game experiences I've ever had. Definitely like one of the most unique. I almost like don't want to spoil anything from this game because mm. I uh, I came to the game not knowing very much about it, other than like uh, you're in space. And there's weird stuff going on and there's stuff to figure out. And um, it was really a really refreshing game to play and yes. how simple it is. Um, at like, uh, like I love The Last of Us Part 2, but it's also a game that exists as part of the AAA uh, video game market and has mm-hmm. to have like, you know, eight guns and uh, <laughs> an upgrade tree and, you know, all this yeah. other, you know, paraphernalia that like this crust that these games have kind of built up around them right um of like you know the 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 typical mechanics the mechanics of outer wilds are uh not typical um and the sense of discovery and of like actual panic and uh (laughs) like elation that that game can evoke are like really really impressive uh so if you haven't played that game it's uh, it's cheaper than most other games, so don't buy other games. Buy that game and um, play it. So. Speaking of emotional experiences, like that was my other most emotional experience of the year in a mm. in a game was Outer Wilds, and and it spanned that whole spectrum of like complete panic and fear, uh, and then wonder and awe and like nostalgia and just so much all at once. Mm-hmm. Really amazing experience. Excellent yeah. soundtrack too. Mm, yes i freaking love the music yeah yeah it's one of my favorite games for sure and we happen to have made a story mode video about outer wilds where we got to talk to some of the creators so go play the game first like sage was saying and then go check out story mode our episode on outer wilds brian what have you been playing recently (laughs) so i recently finished uh playing XCOM enemy unknown for the first time it's a 2012 reboot of the 1994 classic PC game. I've been wanting to play it for years. Two of my best friends are obsessed with it. Uh, and I finally was able to sit down and play it. 
Uh, it's set during a global alien invasion. Uh, you play as a commander of XCOM, which is a military organization tasked with stopping the aliens. And you never see yourself. You're just playing like from your point of view, basically, as sort of top down, like you're controlling everything. The gameplay itself is turn based. So you're dropped into a location with a squad of your choosing. There's like sniper, assault, support, heavy robots. And you move to cover. You set up ambushes. You get ambushed. Things happen kill aliens, blow stuff up as you clear out an area. And that that's cool. It, you know, it's I'm I'm never I've never been the biggest like turn-based person, but this game just works really well because it it still feels very active even if it is turn-based. But then where the game gets really special is in the the meta game, the macro where you're at XCOM HQ and you have funding from the XCOM project and you have to decide how to spend that money and time goes forward and like every month you get new funding and you have to decide like what to build, which units to upgrade, which soldiers to send to testing if they see if they have special abilities, weapons and armor to research and everything costs money from your limited resources, but also takes time to build. So you have to decide whether you're going to be able to do things in enough time. So, it, so you have to make all these like managerial decisions in the middle of which you also get to go and boots on the ground, fight aliens and stuff. And then one more zoom out, you zoom out even bigger where you see the entire world and how panicked each country is. And you can like put satellites over the country and send troops there to help out. But if they get too panicked, then they pull out of the XCOM, they pull their funding. And then like the whole panic of the world goes up more and you're getting closer to like, I'm going to lose the game. So it's just, it's really cool to see a game that operates on these three different levels where every level like, you fund China and then their panic goes down, which means you get more money, which then you can use to upgrade your snipers. And then when you go play, then your snipers are better, you know, so it's just like everything is interconnected. But I love the sort of narrative feeling of how do you make a player feel like the entire world is <laughs> having an alien invasion? It's like, well, you give them oversight over the entire world. But also you want to get down on the ground with soldiers and running around face to face with enemies and stuff like that. So I, I really loved it. Um, there's an XCOM 2, which I have not started yet because I know once I do, it's going to be a couple weeks of my life. So I'm going to wait until <laughs> wait for a couple months before I jump into that. I love that game. I'm maybe the worst XCOM player ever. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad at that game. I, 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 I think I got like finally to the to the last level and just just could not beat it <laughs> oh wow yeah it's, it's not easy <laughs> yeah that sounds like a fun blend of lots of different things mm -hmm. very cool alex what have you been playing well uh story mode has actually given me a great excuse to play video games because i had not been carving out a lot of time for them in my life but now i have to for work so poor guy the the latest uh episode the one we're premiering with on youtube is on the witcher 3 and you know i'm a fan of bioware rpgs uh, mm -hmm. i mean mass effect trilogy is maybe my favorite game experience ever and i've always been told like oh yeah you think those choices like make a difference like you gotta play the witcher 3 that <laughs> those are like real choice you know branching storylines so i started playing it a long time ago and i just didn't have the time to get into it because i just realized very quickly like what a long game it was going to be and just how complicated and how detailed the world is and it was just almost it was just too much i was like i don't have time for this right now and i still don't really have time for it like i'm <laughs> i've been playing it a lot and i feel like i'm not even through the first third at all like you're, like, you're playing too much gwent right 
that's that's what's happening no not even that i'm like i'm like avoiding gwent so i can like get through more of the story faster and it's no 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 no, 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 no. you're playing a game all wrong the game is really about collecting cards (laughs) going from town to town and challenging people to cards that's that's what i remember if you happen to kill a few monsters along the way fine but yeah that's why it's like yeah it's the kind of rpg experience i mean i've played skyrim too but like it's it's that kind of rpg experience where you just feel like my only the only way to like truly do this game is to like give my life over to it like i just have to like not have a life for a while and just disappear into into this world because when i have given it like an entire full day on a weekend that's when i get it that's when i get the magic of witcher 3 is just Mm -hmm. like it's not even there's no like really short moments of playing it that i'm like thinking it's the most amazing game but the amazingness comes from like i'm just here for a while and i'm mm-hmm. just gonna keep doing stuff here <laughs> and i'm gonna uh-huh. keep upgrading my armor and you kind of just get invested in living in a world that way so the more i play it the more i get it uh but man yeah these these games are daunting these like skyrim which are three scale games because mm-hmm. it really does require like you have to live in it to, to really mm-hmm. feel it. yeah but it's so good that's what i'm playing <laughs> I'm like 100 hours into my second playthrough, I mm. think, which I restarted after ne- the Netflix show came out. I was one of those people that was like, oh, yeah. the show was like, I don't know that it's good, but holy hell, do I love this. And now I got to play The Witcher 3 again. <laughs> and now I'm doing like every side quest and all that. But I've also uh, recently played Control, which was a game that I'd seen around a lot. I watch a lot of like YouTube techie videos where they're like, let's see if we can get up to 60 four frame rates instead of 62 Mm. and we're gonna frame you know they get really into like the detailed stuff and control is always uh, a test run because it's one of the first games to use like ray tracing in a really cool way so i bought it no idea what you're talking about this is (laughs) excellent totally going over my head same gotta overclock your gpu and then turn on (laughs) dlss 2.0 so that you can anyway Besides all the technical cool stuff that Control does, it's also it's a really fun game, and it the the construction of the world is really interesting. I, I think it's fair to say that like I was expecting a, a normal game where you go to lots of different places, and this game basically takes place all in one building, mm. but it's not a normal building, and just the way that the kind of mystery uh, unravels, and they kind of mix media a little bit, like there's some actual like video that they shot with real actors that Mm. interplays with the gameplay uh it does a fun mix of things and creates kind of a cool uh mystery where you want to find all the puzzle pieces and try to figure out what in the hell is going on and in the meantime you have like telekinetic powers and can shoot stuff and it's really satisfying so uh control really really fun game does it start to make sense at some point because i have i have started it and i'm just overwhelmed with how little it explains up front (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of it is that like it's kind of messing with you as the player also along okay. the way where yeah. you're like not sure if you're crazy or not. And right. so part of it, part of that disorientation. It's intentional that I'm totally disoriented. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That yeah. Now, is there a uh, card collecting mini game? There is not. A lot of documents There's you can not. pick up. So, there are a lot of documents. Not sure if I'm interested then. <laughs> I've also just started playing the standalone Gwent game and dear God. 
just, <laughs> just don't stay away. If you value your time, stay away. Awesome. Well, this has been our conversation about The Last of Us 2. Sage, thank you so much for joining us. Once again, we launched a new channel today, Story Mode, where we're talking about storytelling in video games, talking to writers and designers that are working on these games like The Witcher 3, like Outer Wilds, like more that I want to say right now. So uh, yeah, go check out Story Mode. Links and all of that is in our show notes. Like, subscribe, spread the word. And check out Sage's channel, Just Right, of course, uh, who has the video on The Last of Us 2, which we've been talking about. But you also did a video on kind of the dadning of video games, right? With like The Last of Us and The Witcher 3 and all these stories about Mm -hmm. dad characters and their children and that being a common theme. So check out his channel, check out those videos, subscribe. Well, wait, if, if, uh, if people really like the videos and they want to support you, where could they do that? Oh, well, you can support us on Patreon. There you go. <laughs> we have Sage for the assist. We have a Patreon uh, for story mode setup also, where you can watch the full length interviews that we shoot with all these designers, among other things. So there's oh. some cool perks there. Um, and if you want to learn more about game designers and hear straight from their mouths, you know, all of their techniques and thoughts, um, it's a cool way to kind of get inside access to these awesome people. Uh, so yeah, story mode, Patreon, check it out. Check out Sage has a Patreon too. So why don't you just visit all the Patreons while you're Yes, while that you're doing it's it. an excellent uh use of your money. I think. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So Beyond the Screenplay is produced by Vince Major. Our editor is Eric Schneider, who also loves Outer Wilds, by the way. He was telling me he played the Alpha and he's like mm. he was obsessed with it. I've been joined, of course, by the Lessons from the Screenplay team, partially. Brian Bittner and Alex Gaios, and of course, Sage Hyden. I'm Michael Tucker. You can find all of our Twitter handles and socials and all the things in the show notes below. Feel free to reach out and say hi. Thank you to the patrons for supporting Beyond the Screenplay, making it possible. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. 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 Bye.